Talking with the Experts. Hello and welcome to Talking with the Experts. My name is Rose Davidson from dosbiz.com and in this episode I'm talking to Derek McManus about Beyond Resilience to Human Durability. Hello Derek and welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you Rose. Absolutely sensational to be here. Derek uh, was a star group officer who was shot 14 times in less than five seconds and whilst lying on the ground for three hours with massive injuries and doctors came and said to him within 30 seconds, he was within 30 seconds of death due to massive blood loss. He returned to full sniper, recovery diver and counter-terrorist duties after two and a half years of rehab. He um, now works with UniSA School of Psychology and the Australian Centre of Excellence for Post-Traumatic Stress, who uh, collaborate with him in research. Human durability is applicable to students, from students to CEOs, hairdressers to tradies, finance and banking to construction. It works for individuals, leaders and organisations. And his clients include the RAF, um, High Performance Programs, Westpac Bank, Hair Care Australia, Peer Apprentice Development, CEO Institute, the wool growers, and obviously more. So welcome, and please let tell me a little bit about Beyond Resilience to Human Durability. Yeah, thanks, Rose. That's um, a great introduction. Obviously, you've captured a, a fair bit of my business there. Um, Beyond Resilience, is it's come out of the fact that I was shot 14 times. Um, I was in Star Group. I was a sniper, diver, uh, and counter-terrorist operative. We went to arrest a guy. Uh, and he started shooting. He fired 18 times, hit me 14 times with high-powered uh, rifle. And, you know, and I'm very happy to dive into that story a little bit more. But, but where human durability has come from is that as a result of that, people asked me to do some speaking. Now, when I first started speaking, I actually didn't think I had a platform to speak on because I'd overcome a big injury and I accept that. But there's lots of people that have overcome big injuries. Uh, and I thought people wanted a hero story and I, I wasn't all that keen on telling a hero story because the people who actually rescued me came in under fire, risked their lives. And if you want a hero story, then they're the heroes that um, I think you should be paying money to, to hear their story. Uh, but the blood service came to me and said, would you like to say thank you to blood donors? And once I started saying blood, thank you to blood donors, just telling them a story and telling them some of my perspectives, I found that there was more to my story than what I realised. Uh, and so then I started talking about some personal leadership uh, traits. Then I started talking about resilience. And when I really started analysing what I had done on the day, I, I realised there was more to it. Yes, I've definitely bounced back, but I prepared myself physically, mentally and emotionally to be able to deal with the fact that I'd been shot 14 times. Now, I didn't see that I needed to bounce back from that because you can't bounce back from it immediately your performance is going to drop. But what happens when that performance drops? How do we sustain optimal performance under those conditions? And that's what I prepared myself for. If I do get shot, what do I want to do to sustain that optimal performance and give myself the best chance of survival and certainly prospering towards the future? How do I uh, manage that situation and then grow out of it? How do I sustain an optimal performance on the back end of it? So it wasn't a matter of bouncing back as much as that's a big part of it as well. It was about how do we sustain that optimal performance. The, the doctors that I've spoken to, the psychiatrists, psychologists that I've spoken to afterwards said that my approach to this is very different 
than anybody else's. Uh, there's, uh, the Australian Centre of Excellence for Post-Traumatic Stress have actually done a, an academic search of the world um, and found that there is no models exactly like mine. Some have similar traits, but they're still talking about bouncing back. Whereas mine's about, let's have a look at the challenges that we know that we could possibly face on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, month-to-month -month basis, depending on whether it's our personal life, our social life, our sporting life, or our business life. And how do we anticipate what those problems might be? And then through those issues, sustain an optimal performance. And it's a much gentler way of looking at ourselves. So optimal performance is very different to peak performance. Peak performance is obviously right at the very top. But if you try to sustain a peak performance, you're either going to burn out or cause yourself massive stress if you can't do it. Now, if I tried to sustain a peak performance when I'd been shot, I would have just stressed out and I would have panicked. My heart rate would have been much higher. Um, I wouldn't have been able to focus and concentrate because I'd be worried about my lack of performance. So it's about what can we expect ourselves as an optimal performance under those conditions. And I've been able to tailor that for, as you said before, kids in schools, hairdressers, CEOs of major organisations, Westpac Bank, finance industry, real estate, um, all sorts of people. Um, and, and I actually now have the uh, School of Psychology at Flinders University just getting involved in my study as well. So it's really being captured by quite a lot of people. Oh, well done. That's excellent news. So um, how, I guess, how do you tailor something to fit um, the, the coalface person rather than, um, you know, someone that's in a leadership role? So it, what I talk about is I prepared myself for what I could realistically expect to encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. My life was star group, high-risk arrest, hostage siege, counter-terrorism. But at the beginning of any presentation, um, I will find a section to interact with the audience. And depending on the size of the audience, if it's a small intimate audience of 30 to 40 people or less, um, then I can actually ask people, what are their specific challenges that they're facing in their life? If it's an audience bigger than that, you know, the, the 200, 300, um, I will generally have a briefing with the uh, engaging client, the the organisation, and they will give me a briefing on what the challenges are that these people face on a day-to-day -day basis. What can they realistically expect to encounter? So for kids in schools, it is as simple as the bullying in the schoolyard, dealing with homework, the stress of studying for year 12. For a CEO, it's about all those HR issues, making the decision whether they uh, go for an acquisition of another organisation or they're acquired themselves, um, or the strategic development that, that they're doing. For real estate agents, it's what can they anticipate uh, when they encounter a new client, when they're trying to get a new listing? What's the sort of uh, objections that their clients are going to be? What can they realistically expect? From all the experiences they've had in the past, what can they realistically expect their new clients to be saying to them? And how can they better prepare to answer those questions so that they can guide the conversation the way they want it to, to get to the outcome they want? So the philosophy is very tailored to individual. If you think about the concept of resilience, resilience is applicable universally to everybody. Everybody needs resilience for their own uh, business, lifestyle, relationships, sport, community, life. Well, human durability is that step beyond resilience. Resilience is, big, is still a big part of it, but we then work out how we go beyond that. So the, the training that I do 
I'll take people through the concept of being fragile when we first start something. We are absolutely fragile. We are new. We're learning. We are looking for new experiences. We are um, then looking for the guidance, the mentoring, the coaching to help us move from uh, fragility into resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back. Being able to say, okay, I can see this problem here. What am I going to do about this problem? Okay, I've got the solution for that. I can now bounce back um, and I'll be okay. Human durability is about going beyond that to where we sustain optimal performance. We still will take another uh, launch off of that and we will take on another challenge. And when we take on that other challenge, there will be new um, challenges to take on, obviously, if we take on a new challenge. Um, but there'll be new dynamics that we need to deal with, whether it's human dynamics, whether it's situational, whether it's uh, operational, whatever it might be. And when we take this new leap, we'll move from durable to a slightly more fragile or resilient area. And we'll slide back along that continuum. And it's about understanding where you sit on the continuum and what you need to do to get back to that durability, that sustaining optimal performance. So this continuum uh, becomes a platform where you know that your performance is 100% reliable. And when you can get to that point of being 100% reliable and you're at the durable end, then you can actually take that leap. And, and that seems to be a new concept to the world. To me, it just makes sense. To me, it just seems to be, well, yes, that makes sense. But I've actually been able to put it into a model um, and obviously a uh, continuum as well. The people are actually able to consciously put in place and make happen for themselves. And when we can do things consciously and strategically rather than going, oh, I think this is how it works for me, we're able to be more positive, more confident and take more courageous uh, action to build the future that we want to build. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, could uh, could benefit a, a heap of people in the world, I'm thinking, even in, especially in the current climate where they could, um, you know, uh, take on this philosophy of being resilient and, and, and stop being so fearful about um, what's going on. Um, so because... You've actually just hit on one of the key words, um, fearful. Um, the, the concept of human durability is to give you a pre-planned action that if you come across a situation, you already have an action plan in mind. And so quite often we'll say, I want to take this action. This is the way I want to go. Um, and I know that I can see these great shiny things in front of me and that's what I want. But sometimes we know these scary things are out there, but we don't actually want to start thinking about them. But in my model for human durability, uh, the underlying philosophy is let's have open, honest, confronting conversations about the reality of the future. Great that we see these shiny things. This is the opportunity. We don't take action unless we see that there's an actual opportunity for us to grow or benefit. But sometimes we know these things are here, but we don't talk about them. Right. And this is if you've ever been in a committee meeting um, and you know that everybody in the committee meeting knows about the elephant in the room, the one that's really scary, the one that if we talk about this, I don't know how people are going to react. Everybody knows it's there, but nobody talks about it. And if that happens, it's going to destroy the business. But still nobody talks about it. Mm. These are the scary things that we need to discuss. And I say that there are two levels of comfort that come from actually discussing these and going through the model to, to understand this. The first level of comfort is actually, do we have the resources? Do we have the 
uh, finance? Do we have the people? Do we have the skills? Do we have the training? All those things to be able to manage this. And if we actually have that confronting conversation, say, do you know something? If that happens, we've got all the ability to deal with it. It may drop our performance, but it won't destroy us. So now that we know we can handle it, let's go forward, let's go hard, let's go confidently. The other side of it is that, oh, actually we don't have the finances, we don't have the resources. We need to bring in somebody else that will give us better skills, but we don't have it at the moment. So we can comfortably, confidently step back from it and be able to articulate the reason we're stepping back from it, rather than just going, oh, I'm not sure it doesn't feel right. And people will be saying, well, you should be going for it. Well, I'm not. But if we actually confront it and say, no, I don't have the, uh, the ability in this area, that just becomes something that we need to focus on and change and bring in the resources to be able to manage it. But there is a level of comfort that comes from discussing it. For me, uh, this became to fruition when uh, I knew I was going into Star Group. I knew it was going to be high-risk arrest, hostage siege, VIP security to the Queen when the Queen was coming out. And I actually had a conversation with my uh, wife, my now ex-wife, but I had a conversation with her at the time. And I said to her, reality is I may be shot and injured, I may be shot and killed. If I die, what's life going to look like for you? And it was about her as much as it was about me. Because we had to look at what the future might be for her. If I don't, if I'm not here, does she go on and get married? Is she comfortable looking after children on her own? And out of that really confronting conversation, the main question we had to ask is, do you now still support me to go and do this job, knowing this reality? Now, people say, well, that's something that obviously police would have that conversation with their partner all the time. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, I see that about only 1% of police will have this conversation, this actual conversation with their partner. Now, if you talk to them, they say, well, we know it's here. We know that's the elephant in the room. We both know it. We understand it. Uh, we know it's a challenge, but we don't actually talk about it. We just know it's there. Um, and so you're always going, oh, I hope it doesn't happen. And if it does happen, I'm sure I'll be able to deal with it. And this is the really resilient mindset that I'll be able to manage it. No, we actually had a conversation. And, and I said, what's your life going to look like? The other really important uh, conversation I had around that is that my youngest children were about two and four at the time of the shooting. And the conversation I had with my wife is what would I like her to say to my children about who I am, about why I made this decision to go into a job where I knew that I may be shot and injured, I may be shot and killed, and now it has happened? What's the conversation? How would she describe me to those children? What would I like her to say? Um, and that was a really quite confronting conversation. But as I say, there was a level of comfort that came out of it that I knew that she had my back and I could move forward confidently. Now, I actually had a uh, conversation with um, Frank Seely and Kathy Seely uh, from Seely International Air Conditioning. And um, when we were, uh, when I did the delivery and Kathy was uh, sitting in there, she uh, came up to me afterwards in a, uh, in a conversation and she has no problems with me discussing this. Um, but her husband, Frank, came to her in the same sort of circumstances. And he said, Kathy, I want to start this business and I want to launch it and make it really big. If it goes well, we'll have a life and it'll be absolutely sensational. But if it doesn't go well, then we might be living in a tin shed for the rest of our lives and struggling to, to eke out some sort of existence. 
are you still willing for me to go and try this and, and chase this shiny thing? Uh, and she said that she, so long as she had Frank in her life, she was going to be happy. It didn't matter where they lived, so long as they were together and they were happy. And that gave Frank the confidence to go, yes, I can go forward. I don't have to worry about what Kathy's uh, thinking. Maybe she supports me. Does she wonder what I'm doing? He was able to go forward confidently. And so that concept works for anybody, whether it's high-risk, hostage siege, counter-terrorism extreme, or whether it's business. Now, the same thing applies to kids in schoolyards. You know, and we talk about what's it going to be like if you get rejected by your friends and where do you find a friendship group? Real estate agents, hairdressers, sparkies, financial industry. And I make it a concept that applies to their world. And this comes from conversations with people. Yeah. It's a bit like having a contingency plan, really, isn't it? It's, um, you know... For me, it is. And it is just that. It's a contingency plan, but it's about having that conversation about the elephant in the room. And it's um, it's not a conversation that... Um, a lot of people have with in business or with their spouse or partners or whatever. I know my husband and I have had that conversation. Um, if one of us were to die, you know, what would their life look like? And, you know, would they remarry? And I mean, our kids are all grown up now so that it, it doesn't really apply, but we did have that conversation when, when the children were younger. So um, yeah, we knew that, um, you know, what was going to happen and what, what the wishes of the other person were. So, yeah. and, and our kids are, uh, you know, we've had an open conversation with our kids about, um, you know, our final days or when we've passed what, you know, what we want, we don't need to, we don't, we don't feel that we need to leave uh, a will um, because it, probably we should do, but because they know what we want, they know how we want to, you know, at the end of the time, what, what's going to yeah. happen to our, yeah. to our and, and bodies and things. That is actually a really powerful conversation to have because it makes the end of your time easier for your children. Yes. Uh, they already know what you want. It's not guessing, oh, would mum want this? Would mum want that? Yeah. You've already had that conversation. You know the music you want to play at your, your funeral and all those things. Yeah. Some people see this as a morbid conversation. It's Some not. People, oh my gosh, no. Talk about that. They well, should talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't have to be morbid. No. It doesn't have to be overwhelming and it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. It is about what would we really like to do and how would we like to do it? And it should be as simple as that. Um, Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, no, it's just a reality. I really, um, when we had our um, SA Bouncing Back um, online event, I really, really enjoyed your um, your talk, and I. Th- Can you just elaborate a little bit more for um, for for us today about what you said because it was really powerful and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I mean, I've watched it a million times because I've edited the video several times. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I thought that what you said was. Oh, I don't know. It, it just really touched me a lot. It, it uh, was very powerful and, and yeah. So maybe you could touch on that a little bit today. Okay, excellent. Um, I actually have to try and remember what I said in that essay bouncing back because I, uh, I speak at so many events. I will tailor it for that event and, and I'll know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, I just did a presentation for uh, Quality Wool yesterday, which are wool growers and wool buyers and wool dealers. 
um, and I tailored it for them. So I'm going to try and remember what I did. I think for, uh, it was um, you showed your model um, and there was a three-step three pr uh, process. Okay, so the three-step process would have been the continuum that I've just discussed and, and I must admit I didn't discuss that extremely well. I wasn't quite comfortable with that. I think SA bouncing back, I was talking about the five drivers. Yes. Um, yep. Five drivers for the future. Um, and, and what the whole concept of um, essentially my life, uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Gary, a good friend of ours. Yes. Um, he said that the, the word for me that I really focus on for just about everything I do is optimise. Everything I try to do, I optimise. And these five drivers uh, for success, I see as a way of optimising and keeping us focused on what we want. So the first one is optimism. That's uh, it. That's the, that's the conversation, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So optimism. We have to have uh, a sense of optimism for the future. We have to see that there is something better out there and that we want to chase it. Um, because if we don't see something better in the future, if we don't see that there is some reward for the effort that we are going to put in, then we won't have any enthusiasm. And we might be told you need to do this and you have to do this and you'll start doing it. And as soon as there's a challenge that you come up against, then you're just going to go, oh, this is too hard. I knew it was going to be too hard. I, I'm just going to give up. However, if there's an internal sense of optimism about where you want to go in the future, you know that it's this thing in the future that you're chasing and that's going to make a better life for you. It's going to make a better life for your family. It's going to be a better life for the charity that you're working for. It doesn't always have to be about you. It's just that sense of optimism that the effort you're going to uh, be putting in is going to reward you in this way. When those challenges come up, you'll go, no, this is so important to me. I'm going to push through this challenge. I'll overcome that one. I'll go around it. Um, had a conversation with someone recently about um, how do you find your way through? Uh, and I analogized it to being like a river. A river will come up against a mountain and then it will just take the path of least resistance to go around that mountain, find its way back down to the ocean. And when you have this sense of optimism, you do that as well. You'll hit a challenge, you'll find a way around it, over it, through it, whatever it is, whatever it takes, you will make your way through. So we need that sense of optimism. Um, the second one is influence. So it's optimism and influence. We need to believe that we have some influence over our future. Um, because if we can't influence it, then we might as well just sit back and wait for Rose to tell me what I need to do. Okay, I'm waiting for it, Rose. You tell me what I need to do and then I'll go and do it. I don't have any ability to influence it. Now, there's two ways of looking at influence. Um, one is how much influence do I have over my situation? But the other is, well, COVID-19. I don't have any influence over that at all. Global financial crisis, when that hit, when the government changes legislation, when they bring in new policies at work that don't allow me to do things, I don't have influence over that. But we do have influence over how those things affect us, internally, physically, uh, intellectually, uh, and emotionally. And we need to have that belief that we can influence something in our life. Because again, if you don't have any influence, you might as well just sit around and wait for somebody to come along and tell you what you need to do. So we need to analyze those challenges in front of us 
and work out what influence we do have. And if we don't have as much influence as we want and we're really passionate about doing it, how do we then go out and get the skills, the resources, the people, whatever it is, so that we can influence that situation? Um, the third one is passion. So it's optimism, influence, passion. And passion comes around uh, not so much what we want, but why we want it. Knowing what you want is very, very important. But the reason why is going to be even more important. Because if that reason why is important to you, then you are going to be chasing it. You will push through those challenges. Um, your passion builds that sense of optimism. Um, and, and you will chase it. Um, now, the passion could be for something that's meaningful for you in what you're doing, and you'll push through that challenge. But I've also had another friend who took on three part-time jobs, casual positions, um, and her philosophy was that casual paid more than full-time jobs. So she took on these three casual jobs to get lots of money in. She did not like any one of those jobs she did, but she still did them passionately because the extra money that she got from doing three casual jobs allowed her to then travel uh, internationally and go on holidays and all those sorts of things as much as she wanted. She wasn't committed to the full-time job, so she was able to save up her money and then go on four months, six months, seven months holidays, do whatever she wanted, then come back and find some other jobs that she could finance herself and then go on another holiday. So our passion doesn't have to be for what we're actually doing, but we need to know where we get fed by what we're doing. So we can be doing a job we don't enjoy, so long as it serves some other purpose. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of people fall into jobs where they go, do you know something? Um, I've started doing this job, they've given me a promotion, they're giving me extra money, and I really like that. I don't like the job, but I like the extra money, um, so that'll help me to be able to do X, Y, Z at home, but you know, every day I go to work, I'm kind of dying. Um, you know, I die a little bit more each time I you know, see that person in the office or I have to do this job. If it's hurting you that much, then we need to work out a different way of achieving what you want to do because we need to be able to enjoy both sides of life. Um, the next one is planning. So it's optimism, influence, passion, and then planning. And for me, planning is simply some idea of what we're going to deal with and some idea of how we're going to deal with it. And it really is that simple. It doesn't have to go into massive logistics, but it has to be an open, honest, confronting conversation about the reality of the future. Now, as I said before, we don't have to dwell on it. We don't have to wallow in pity about all these bad things, but we have to be aware of them. And we have to have had a conversation, at least with ourselves. If these things happen, I have this skill, I have this trait, I have this ability, I have this resource, I have this infrastructure around me, to be able to manage it. But it's just simply some idea of what we're gonna deal with and some idea of how we're gonna deal with it. Because that allows us to take that first step in response to it. If we've got no idea, then we're gonna be overwhelmed. Uh, the business world is now talking about VUCA situations. And that's volatile, uncertain, complex, or ambiguous situations. And the uncertainty that comes with them starts to overwhelm us. Now there's something that happens in our mind um, if our emotions and our rational thinking are sitting on an even plane, it means that everything's comfortable, everything's easy, everything's um, 
going according to plan. We can discuss, we can contemplate, we can debate, we can change our minds, we can change our plans, because everything's nice and comfortable. But as soon as we hit a volatile, uncertain, complex or ambiguous situation, our emotions start going high because we're starting to get overwhelmed. So our emotions go high and our rational thinking goes low. And this is where we hit fight and flight. This is panic mode. We don't have the emotions to be able to deal with it. Um, we have rational thinking has dropped and now we are just implementing what is easiest. It's not anything to do with our, uh, our pre-planned actions, our training, what we know is best. And the easiest concept in this is if you think about when we've had arguments with our partners, both of us going at each other because we have different opinions, we want different outcomes, um, we still love each other and we want to debate it, but things aren't quite going right. And the emotions are getting high, the rational thinking's going low, and then we bark out that statement. And after we make it, we go, oh my gosh, why did I say that? I didn't even mean that. It's because the emotions are so high, the rational thinking is low. Now, some people go, oh, easy then. Let's just cut out the emotion. If we take emotion out of everything, then we'll be able to keep the rational thinking up here. Well, we can't keep the emotion out of everything. We do get overwhelmed by stuff. Um, but it's about saying, when the emotion's high and I need to make a decision or I need to take action, what can I have in place to bring the emotion down and the rational thinking back up? Now, some in big, big, massive situations, certainly in the situation of being shot, I wasn't ever going to get it back on an even plane but I was able to get it closer so that I was able to take the action that I'd been trained to do, the things that I want to do uh, physically, mentally, or emotionally to be able to manage that situation. And this is just about the some idea of what we're going to deal with, some idea of how we're going to deal with it, because that allows us to take that first step. We may not know the whole plan that we're going to put in place, but if we can take that first step, we are then on that journey to solution, rather than going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to procrastinate for a little while. In fact, let me step back from this. Let me see if I can get a bigger perspective. No, let me step further back. All right? Some idea of what we're going to deal with, some idea of how we're going to deal with it. And the last one is support. Um, and it's not about throwing money at charity or anything else. It's about being prepared to throw your hand in the air and say, hey, listen, I need support. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a bigger challenge than I anticipated. I don't know how I might deal with this emotionally. Um, I'm taking on something that I'm really passionate about, but you've got more experience than me. Can you give me some advice? And throwing your hand in the air and asking for support is absolutely invaluable because what we find now in the business world and certainly in the personal world is when you actually ask a question, could you give me some assistance? There's lots of people out there who are willing to say, yeah, no problems. I would love to do that because we do intuitively, intrinsically, like to help other people to achieve what they want to achieve. Um, and so those five steps, those five drivers, optimism, sense of uh, belief in your influence, uh, a passion for what you're doing and, and knowing why you're passionate about it, planning some idea of what you're gonna deal with, some idea of how you're gonna deal with it, and that being willing to throw your hand in the air and ask for support, um, absolutely invaluable. The support as a concept for me, um, certainly I had it in place when I spoke to my wife will you still support me going into this job I ensured that I had her support there but after the shooting one of the things that I did was throw my hand in there and say hey get me a psych I want to talk to a psych now if you think about this shooting it happened in 1994 and in 1994 20, 26 years ago now um, 
you know, this big, burly, tough cop who was into high-risk arrest and hostage siege of counter-terrorism, putting his hand in the air and going, I'd like some therapy, please. <laughs> you can imagine how that was taken 26 years ago. These days, it's more acceptable and, and lots of people are engaging in and understanding the benefit of it. But 26 years ago, I've gone, I want a psych. Now, it wasn't because I thought I was weak. It wasn't because I thought I was going around the twist. But I didn't actually think I needed psych help at that time. But what I wanted to do was pick their brains about you've dealt with people who have dealt with it well, you've dealt with people who have dealt with major trauma badly. What's the difference? What's their approach? What are the things that they experience? What can I anticipate in my future? And how can I better prepare for what are the signs? And if I see the signs, how do I manage it? Mm. Um, and that was the conversation that I had. Now, if you think about the, the shooting, I was lying on the ground for three hours, major injuries, two bullets in my stomach, I lost 45 centimetres of bowel. One bullet came through my left forearm, uh, broke the bone in two places, severed the main artery, damaged nerves. Uh, another piece of shrapnel, uh, severed an artery in my right wrist. Two bullets into my left thigh, I lost 30% of the muscle in my left thigh. One went through my right Achilles tendon, took out 80% of the Achilles tendon. And I was lying there for three hours dealing with these injuries, feeling my body closing down. Um, at one point, my blood supply got so low that even my vision closed out. And I really started thinking, is this it? When my vision didn't turn to shades of grey or black, as I expected it to, the pragmatic copper, it went to this absolute pristine white. And I started thinking to myself, is this it? Is this what they talk about? Um, and then when the first doctor got to me, he said he didn't actually know whether I was dead or alive. Um, he didn't see any movement. There was no sound. Um, there was no colour in my body and I certainly wasn't breathing at the time he saw me. Um, and he thought to himself, do I even bother taking a look? He's probably dead already. He thought I was dead. Um, and then he describes that I took this last gasping breath. Um, and he said, well, I'm going to do what I can. And he certainly worked his magic. Now, having gone through that and now being in intensive care and got major trauma and major rehabilitation in front of me, when I spoke to the psychiatrist just three months after the shooting uh, and I was picking his brain about what can I anticipate in the future, what might change for me, how do I handle these things? And he was picking me about, well, how did you prepare for the shooting? How did you manage your, uh, how did you control your panic? How did you control shock? Um, what led you to slowing down your breathing? What's led you to slowing down your heart rate so that you could survive? How did you have those things in place? So we had this really deep conversation. And at the end of this three-hour conversation with the psychiatrist just three months after the shooting, he cleared me psychologically to go back to work the next day. Physically, I couldn't go back to work the next day, but psychologically, he cleared me to go back to work the next day. And he said that I never needed to come back and see him again unless I actually felt like I, I wanted to. Um, because I'd set myself up so well, physically, mentally, and emotionally, understanding the emotions go high and the rational thinking goes low. And how do I bring those emotions back down and, and get it back up? Um, and that was a major challenge for many of my workmates going, hang on, we expected you going into therapy, you would be in therapy for decades after something like this. But this is where the model for human durability has come from. It's come out of that concept of how do we prepare for the future? How do we physically, mentally, emotionally prepare for what we can realistically expect to encounter in our day-to-day -day life? And how do we stop the emotion taking control of us and bring it back down so that we can make more rational decisions, 
do the things that we want to do, the intelligent things rather than the panic things. Um, and, and it took me two and a half years physically before I was able to go back to uh, Star Group and to get back there physically, you know, focusing on the support still. Um, I had to engage with physios. I had to engage with doctors. I had to engage with uh, my family, my work colleagues, trainers, personal trainers, all those sorts of things to be able to get through. But the one person who had to be driving this was me. I couldn't sit back and just go, I got shot, somebody else should be looking after me, you do it for me, you tell me what I need to do. No, I had to be in control, I had to be driving it. Take advice from everywhere, get the best advice I could. And I've got some advice from people that I've gone, you know, you're an expert, but that doesn't quite resonate with me. So I kept on searching for that person that I resonated with. And some people, I've had lots of people who, uh, who have had conversations about, oh, I've spoken to a psychologist and I didn't like it. They, they didn't think the way I thought, so I didn't bother trying that again. I see finding the right psychologist is like dating uh, someone. You, you don't just walk up to a person in the street and go, I'm going to start dating you. You select the person. You find the person you have a sync with. The same with psychologists, psychiatrists. Sometimes we'll have a sync with them. Sometimes it will take us two or three. And that was certainly what it was like for me. There was some medical advice that I was getting, absolute experts, but the way they explained it or what they believed didn't sync with me. And I kept on searching for that person that I really wanted uh, to sync with to move forward together. Well, that's a really great story, Derek. I, um, I know I know. when I first met you at a white ribbon um, thing in Adelaide, I was absolutely in awe of you because you were, you know, famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and um, yes, I, and I, I really wanted to come and talk to you about yeah because you were famous. I was a bit shy, so there you go. <laughs> oh, Rose, you shouldn't have done that. Well, I found out later that you were like, um, yeah, I, I was told you know you should have gone and talked to her because he's a really nice man. So and you are. I've since I found out. So. Oh, thank you. Oh. Anyway, Derek, where can people find you? Uh, my website, uh, Derek, uh, McMan sorry, DerekMcManus.com. I was going to give you my email address there. Uh, so DerekMcManus.com, that's D-E-R-R-I-C-K, and it's obviously going to be in your uh, feed as well, but yes. uh, McManus, M-C-M-A-N-U-S. Well, in fact, it's written there on my screen now that I see it on the Zoom. Um, so DerekMcManus.com. Um, my details are all on there, email, phone number. Um, I am now traveling the world. Um, oh, excellent stuff. Keynote, uh, keynote presentations for conferences, seminars, in-house stuff. Um, I'll do a 90-minute interactive half-day workshop, full-day workshop. Um, I'm, and I've now put together a program that I can implement um, either in person or virtually, uh, which is two hours every fortnight or two hours every month over a six to 12 month period. Um, and that's backed up by uh, email support and short powerful videos, not just from myself, but people like Gary Edwards, Katrina Webb, those sorts of people who are just able to come in with just that little bit of a different perspective to mine, um, but still supporting the same sorts of messages. Um, and that's an, a, an ongoing program over 12 months with little bits of support in the background um, so it's not just the two hours, it's all these other little things, just as reminders, not overwhelming for anybody, just really easy to take in and go, oh, that makes sense. Or sometimes they'll go, that one didn't work for me, can't wait for the next one. 
Um, but I love doing it and I do it around the world. I've been to Vietnam and worked with the universities in Vietnam. Uh, I've been to America four times now. New Zealand, I was working with uh, an oil and gas miner over in New Zealand and obviously around Australia. So when COVID gets in control again, I am looking forward uh, to getting out and traveling. But in the meantime, um, virtual is always going to be a possibility. Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much for your time today, Derek. I've so much enjoyed listening to your um, words of wisdom. Thank you, Rose. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Admire everything that you do as well, because uh, for that SA Bouncing Back event, the work that you did in the background, um, we wouldn't have been where we were if it wasn't for oh, you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that as well. And thanks for having me on today. Okay. Thank you. Take care, Rose. Thank you. Bye, Bye now.